Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our loving, liberating, life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. Once a year, I climb up into this pulpit to deliver my hybrid state of the church uh, speech and the, and the sermon. And I thought, even though we've delayed the annual meeting, I would do that today. Sometimes in order to give a state of the church uh, speech in the midst of a sermon, I pretty much ignore the scripture that's been assigned for the day. And that was a bit tempting. But all this week, I kept thinking about the crowd that carried Jesus to the edge of the cliff. And I found myself grateful to be working in some relatively flat terrain. Now, some of you may be thinking, Mike, there are some pretty good cliffs up there in Alton, Illinois. It's really not that far. Bear with me a moment. And Julie arguably got the better part of this story from Luke's gospel last week. And Jesus reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's where we pick up the story. At first, the people are delighted. They turn to one another and they say, is this not Joseph's son? They're proud of this homegrown rabbi. They're impressed. Luke tells us that they are raving about Jesus. And Jesus turns on them. Jesus says to them, no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. Reading between the lines, scholars tell us, we can begin to understand why, why Jesus would antagonize his own people this way. And Jesus is pushing back on assumptions. Jesus is saying out loud what is often whispered internally. Hearing Jesus preach, the people of Nazareth started saying to themselves, with this kid in the pulpit, we might be able to rebuild the synagogue. If he does some healing, folks might come from miles around. Maybe I should invest in a vegetable stand just up the road. Maybe we should build ourselves a new inn to welcome the pilgrims. Jesus hears what's going on on the inside and tells them, you are having an adventure in missing the point. At the risk of antagonizing you, I'm going to confess something out loud that's been going on internally. I've been rector for almost seven years here at Holy Communion. We've been setting goals across that whole time. But I've got to confess to you, there's really only one metric I've been watching internally in my heart of hearts. That metric, I confess, is average Sunday attendance. It's one of the big numbers you have to report to the wider church. And I've paid so much attention to this metric 
that I can quote it from memory. For five years, our average Sunday attendance grew pretty steadily from about 90 worshipers on a Sunday to about 170. And I was proud of that measurable growth. We're bucking the trend. Last year, the Episcopal Church let parishes count just up until March 1st. They said, turn in your March 1st number. So we stayed pretty much level. But for 2021, the churchwide office said, count the number of people who worshiped with you in person, divide that number by the number of weekends you held in-person worship, and turn in the number. So for 2021, indoors and outdoors, Holy Communion averaged 75 worshipers in person. And when I figured that number out, it felt like a kick in the gut. Now, I know it wouldn't have been safe to have a big average Sunday attendance in person. I can rationalize my way through the disappointment. I can point to our online worship numbers, sort of, in all honesty, and we say this in print in the parish register report, it's up online. I don't think anyone really knows what the numbers for online worship mean. I think if they tell you so, they're kidding. I'm not sure when or if we will ever measure 170 on an average Sunday in person again. And today, if there is one take home, for me it's this. I don't think Jesus cares about how we count Sunday attendance. I don't think Jesus cares about the metric in which I put so much stock. Maybe there's a different number, a statistic you're watching in your work or in life. Maybe there's some marker you think will show you we're back. I'd invite you to ask, would Jesus care about your figure? How does Jesus count? Let's turn to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Maybe you heard this reading and double-checked the bulletin to make sure you weren't at a wedding by mistake. That's where most of us associate this particular chapter from Paul. Love is patient, love is kind. But before we get to that, Paul is also talking about metrics. If I can speak with the voice of an angel, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give everything away, if I give even my own life, but I don't do it out of love, there is no benefit. Paul says, measure all you want. Measure everything. You can be the best preacher, the best teacher, the most generous benefactor, but if you're not rooted in love, forget it. In the summer of 1996, I purchased my first copy of the soundtrack of the musical Rent. I say my first copy because by the time I got to college, I had worn out at least two copies of the CDs. And listen, I was a queer kid growing up in the suburbs of Denver, and Rent was the first piece of art I ever encountered that had multiple storylines featuring LGBTQ plus characters. I saw myself in the story. I saw hope for a more diverse community than the one that surrounded me growing up. I loved Rent. And I'm going to admit to you that my favorite track on that album was Seasons of Love. And I know that that song is a cliche, but honestly, so is the first chapter, or so is this chapter from 1 Corinthians. 
And talking about love this much might seem like a cliché. It shouldn't. Jonathan Larson wrote the lyrics to Seasons of Love in the midst of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. Living in Lower Manhattan in the early 90s, he was surrounded by friends dying. Against that backdrop, he wrote, how do you measure a year in the life? He answered, how about love? Measure in love. St. Paul would agree. I don't know a more Christ-like way to measure, even if I'm about to use the word more than I typically would, than typically would make me comfortable. Measuring in love might make the business savvy among us crazy. How do you quantify? I can say we've served more people in the past few months at Laundry Love than we have ever served before. That's quantifiable. I can say I have loved working with our new associate rector, Julie. Her energy and creativity are matched by a gracious presence that puts folks at ease. I'm incredibly grateful to our talented staff, to Cheyenne, Jim, Mary, Stephen, our choir members. I'm thankful for Zach, our sexton, even as he's getting ready to take his next steps in a new job. I loved working with Heidi and Mark, who left us back in October. The Holy Communion staff team responded to this year and to my sabbatical leave with creativity and commitment and with great love for the people of this congregation. I'm grateful to your vestry and for the folks who are standing for election to your vestry. A special word of thanks needs to go to Shirley Mensa, who finishes her second term Shirley was my senior warden through some of the biggest growth I've had as a professional. She spent time with me over coffee, over the phone, over construction contracts, talking through big decisions. Shirley has given this parish and me such a gift. I'm thankful she's not going anywhere, that she's already agreed to help leading other ministries around here. Thanks as well go to Warren Davis and Megan Onder, who both had to leave the vestry a bit earlier in the year because of life events. There are others who have marked this year with love in the church. A couple of them I plan to highlight when I award the Rector's Cross on February 13th during the live part of the annual meeting. If you sign in at 9 o'clock that morning, you will hear those awards, and you'll hear in them that I can't adequately measure the ways this congregation has met the frustrations of this year with love. I can only tell you stories that point the way. We've had a number of new people join us at Holy Communion in recent months, and many have gotten to know us through online worship, which means they've heard more from the clergy than anyone else. When we meet in person, I say to them, you might come for the preachers, but you'll stay for the members. Join us on Zoom for a small group or conversation. And when the weather warms up, join us at the laundromat or in the garden. Take some time to get to know the people who worship here. This congregation knows how to make a love-spreading difference. The people here make Christ's love known in their actions as much as in their words. This year has been gritty at times, frustrating at times. But as I take stock, as I really take stock, 
If I let go of the measures that I had had imposed on me and I'd grabbed so tightly to, I hope we can find ways to measure more creatively. Because our time-honored ways of counting simply do not reflect the new reality we are facing. They don't count the love adequately. I'm not sure you can ever really count love, but finding more loving ways to measure, maybe that's one lesson of this year. Before I step down, take a look at the last line of the gospel. The very last sentence begins with the word but. And Jesus made that crowd angry, and they take him up to the brow of the cliff. Ambrose of Milan, a fourth century bishop, says, don't miss the miracle in that last line. Ambrose says, behold, the minds of those furious men were suddenly either changed or confused, and Jesus passed through the midst of them. There's a miracle in that little word, but. The minds of those furious men were either suddenly changed or confused, and Jesus sets out on his own way. May God convert our anger. May God confuse our comfortable ways enough that we might stumble onto the loving way of Jesus and learn to count what Christ counts. Measure in love. Amen.